Good evening, everybody. This is Omar Serrato with the Tilted Lawyer Pod. Blah. That's a great way to start 2024. This is Omar Serrato with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, brand new in 2024. We are back. And there has been an update in the Natalia Grace case that we had covered previously in 23, I don't know, about seven or eight months ago. Um, Back when we had finished that podcast, we talked about all the things that were going on legally uh, with the Barnetts and all kinds of other stuff. And now she has had the opportunity to speak. And so we're going to talk about all of that going forward. We're going to summarize the six episodes that just came out. Uh, released as of, I don't know, I think it was last week or so. Um, There's been shocking developments, and we're going to get into all of it coming up next. Let's get started. Whatever you might be going through and wherever you might be, this is Omar Serrato with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast. I'm here to take your mind off of things. Yes, I'm an attorney. No, I'm not giving you legal advice. We're going to sit and talk like people as these are the candid thoughts of one practicing attorney, and it's after hours. So have a seat. Feel free to have a drink and join me. Let's get started. And we're back. Well, if you are unfamiliar with the case of Natalia Grace Barnett, well, let me just remind you, if you've never watched it, this is my warning right now that this episode is going to contain spoilers. You should watch prior to watching this podcast, uh, the new documentary season two that's come out on the curious case of Natalia Grace Barnett, and it's titled Natalia Speaks. And she's telling her entire story about everything that's happened to her from the time that she was adopted in the Ukraine uh, to the three families that adopted her prior to that, to her time with the Barnett's, to the story of her understanding of why her age was changed from eight to 22, back when I think it was in 2023, uh, to what's transpired since. And there's even a face-off between her and Michael Barnett, and we're going to talk about all of it. And I really urge you, if you have any interest in her investment, in this case whatsoever, uh, to just, you should just watch those episodes and binge them if you want. And the way that I'm going to handle it is I don't think that there's a better way to do it other than this. Um, I have taken copious notes on that case. I have certainly a legal analysis to provide. Um, I have thoughts and opinions about all the main players in this case. And I'm going to talk about all of them, but I have very raw thoughts because episode six concluded kind of unexpectedly. So the way that they were gearing up with this show was they had painted this whole picture about this was supposed to be the resolution in the story of Natalia Grace. And they, they lead you to believe that you're going that way uh, from episodes one all the way through six. And at the very end, in the very last, well, two minutes of the episode, they drop a bombshell on everybody. And I have thoughts on that. I'm going to explain why that is. So again, if you haven't Watch the podcast. This is my last warning. Do not listen to this until you listen to all six of those documentary episodes. Um, and then that way you'll have a better um, participation experience with this show. But with that said, what's there to say? Um, if you've never seen that movie, The Orphan, this is what it was about. It was about an American family. And they go to an adoption agency and they pick up this Ukrainian girl who I think in the movie she would have been like five six seven years old or whatever and through you know various shenanigans over the course of the first hour of that show you get to these hints that well uh, that little girl 
um, is actually probably not a child because she's playing Rachmaninoff perfectly on the piano. And then she's threatening um, very uh, nefarious things against her brother and saying very adult things and having very adult feelings towards uh, the adult father in that movie, um, only to come to find out that she was actually um, a 33-year-old woman posing as a child uh, for various purposes. That was the movie that came out, I want to say, in 2010, 2011. So the events of this documentary take place between the years of 2003. I believe uh, that Natalia was adopted in 2009, 2010 by the Barnetts. And the whole um, main story of this documentary was the Barnetts, they take her home. She's supposedly this seven-year-old Ukrainian orphan um, with a disability. She has a severe disability that left her, well, uh, devoid of height, um, unable to walk normally, unable to move her joints normally. She has a very specific medical condition. And so this lady, um, Christine Barnett, she had in the past raised an, uh, a young boy that had um, not a physical disability, but it was a mental, he, he was autistic. Um, he was found to be a genius. Um, and I think he had published books and he was like uh, taking classes at the local university and doing all kinds of other things. She had written a book that basically took credit uh, for his genius. It was because of her parenting prowess. It was because of her um, parenting style that this young boy was able to flourish under her care. So now fast forward to 2009 and you have this little girl um, Natalia, and uh, the most adorable-looking Ukrainian orphan you've ever seen. Um, I was telling my wife that, gosh, that young... It's probably not just the case of my child, but she... I mean, she resembled a child, and I have a daughter with similar features, with the hair, with the eyes, you know, with the face. Um, if I close my eyes, and if I'm just looking at the silhouette of her head, I'm looking at the eyes of my daughter, my daughter who's like four years old. Um, and so it's startling because in the documentary, you see them say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This little girl has pubic hair is kind of how it started. It started with they're giving her a bath and the way that the Barnett's phrased it, they look down or not the Barnett's together, but Christine looks down as she's bathing Natalia and full on pubic hair on this alleged six or seven year old girl, her however thought however old they thought that she was. Um, and then the story goes that Christine screamed and told um, her husband to come down here and take a look at this. And then it was, you know, all of a sudden these suspicions about her actual age. Is she actually seven or what are we looking here? Who is this person that we just brought in her house? Um, as the story continues, um, they claim that Natalia had exhibited dangerous behavior towards the family, specifically um, she had physically harmed her siblings, the siblings being boys. She threatened the Barnetts with a knife. She tried to kill Christine or push her into an electric fence. Uh, she tried to do all kinds of crazy stuff. We talked about all of those on the first two podcasts where I covered um, that's this specific documentary. Now, season one of that documentary was geared towards the Barnetts accounting of what happened. We didn't really have anything to go on or we didn't have anything from Natalia herself as far as what she perceived was going on at that time. And so this was all the Barnett story. The first couple episodes 
of that documentary kind of just played up. This is the story. This is what they say. Um, but then they go into episodes three, four, and five about, well, they dropped off this little girl. They left her in Tippecanoe County um, and in an apartment building where she would have been, if she was not re-aged, about seven years old, eight years old at the time. And so we had this whole discussion. We talked about it. And, um, you know, for like four hours, um, podcasts, produced podcasts and everything um, about the story of this, this, this little girl. And we were, we had no way of knowing at the time because all of the evidence had not been, had, had not been uh, released. Um, but the evidence that was released or that was available to the courts said, well, you know what? Um, we don't have any actual evidence or way of knowing how actually old she is. And then the court, the, the judge made some kind of crazy, um, he developed his own little personal tests. It's like, well, I think, uh, you know, adults usually stop growing at a certain age and she hasn't grown since whenever, um, and so he declared her uh, 22 years old. This would have been back in 2009. Um, and so on the basis of that, um, the, uh, the, her adoptive parents left her in. They took her from her home, moved her into this apartment all by herself, all by herself. Nobody was living with her. She didn't have roommates. Um, she didn't have siblings, no parents or anything. Um, under the guise that, well, this is a 22-year-old orphan posing as a child, um, but because she's disabled, we're, she's kind of, uh, we're kind of on the hook with her, and so we're taking care of her basically as best as we can. And we examined that whole thing about how um, she was living there and the neighbor's accounting of what was going on and how this little girl was weird. She would keep coming up and knocking on doors uh, because she was looking for somebody to talk to, and she was becoming cumbersome with her neighbors. And it was like, uh, if you've ever had an annoying neighbor, some of you have, some of you haven't, but it's the equivalent of the next door neighbor um, every single day knocking on your door when they know that you're home um, and because they want to talk, they want to socialize, you know, they want human contact, human interaction. Um, and they were getting really annoyed with her. And so the entire apartment community just kind of banded together and they decided uh, that she had to go, and they got her evicted. And then from there, uh, they took her to Lafayette County um, and uh, put her in another apartment while the family moves to Canada. This whole reaging process happens. Um, there's appeals and there's things, and we talked about all of it on those episodes. Um, and what I wanted to do and what I was really dying to do way back then um, when we first did this, th uh, this series is talk about Natalia's accounting of all of it. I wanted to hear. Um, I had speculated back on the show because we had looked at video and pictures that that is not the face. Okay. I really try to, I mean, because the way that they phrased the documentary, if you recall, the first couple of episodes is that there was no inkling that she might not actually be 22. They, they were basically um, producing that documentary from the perspective of the parents who were saying that she was older. Um, and I'm looking at them sideways like, okay, but that looks like a kid. And I was, you know, just trying to distort my own reality. Okay. Is it just me? Could I allow myself to suspend disbelief and accept that what I'm looking at is actually an adult female, 22, 23 years old. Um, if she was the age that she said that she was today, she would be like 33 years old. Um, but back then, you know, um, she would have been 22. And so my whole thing was just look at her facial structure. Look at the way that she's talking. Look at the way that she's acting. Look at her teeth. Her teeth look like children's teeth. Um, 
the way that she acted to me, and I had mentioned it on the show, was one of an abused little girl that had undergone a very traumatic childhood. Um, if you accept the premise, which I think at this point, there's some facts that we definitively know. Um, and by the way, um, in this new documentary, evidence that was never presented to the judiciary back in 2010 when she was re-aged or whatever year it was, um, was not presented to them. And so they aged her based on what they had. Um, they had actual uh, medical documents. Nobody could definitively say how old she was, according to them. And it was this big mystery in myself and Ileana at the time. Um, oh, I got some updates on her, by the way. But um, myself and Ileana had opined, like, why couldn't they just, it's, it's not that hard to age somebody. Why don't we just go back and get all of the medical records? They tried to litigate this thing, and they had made a judicial determination of her age way back when. When they were trying to litigate this and find the Barnetts uh, liable for criminal activity uh, prior to this, um, they knew more information. And it's like there's these other medical documents that indicate that this, this, this little girl was actually a little girl. She was not a 22-year-old orphan posing as a child. She was actually a child that might have just had these weird behavioral tendencies because of everything that she had gone through. And so myself and Ileana were going over why the court couldn't just uh, make a new determination. And we had talked about raised judicata. Uh, double jeopardy and all these different things in the specific appellate court in Indiana where the case was litigated, um, where normally um, if you have new evidence that was not available at the time, you're welcome to introduce that at any point in the litigation, provided that that information was impossible to obtain um, at the time of the first litigation, essentially. And they didn't allow any new evidence and I think that the, you know, I, I forgot what specifically we said, but it was along the lines of if they deemed the new evidence available way back when, it should have been introduced way back when, you don't get to litigate this twice without some other appellate reason. And there wasn't really another appellate reason. So what ended up happening was the Barnetts were acquitted of any criminal conduct, um, abuse of a minor, um, child neglect, uh, child abuse. Uh, sexual assault on minors. And we'll talk about, you know, a little bit of that on the, on the new uh, episodes, but they were acquitted of all of it. Um, and the reason that the jurors had given was that we had to believe based on what we knew uh, that all of this conduct was happening to an adult, meaning they weren't living. They, they were not leaving a eight year old abandoned at an apartment. They were leaving a 22 year old female and providing her food and shelter and lodging and all this kind of stuff. And what more are you required to do of an adult? But if it was a child, oh, that's a different conversation. And the jurors had specifically said, well, if we were able to analyze the evidence as if Natalia was a child, then we would have. Um, but since we had to believe that she was an adult, they found him not guilty. And so then we were like, well, what's the legal recourse then? And, and me and Ileana had gotten into, uh, well, there's civil lawsuits and there's other things that could happen. And perhaps, perhaps there's um, maybe some criminal liability that, could, they, that they could find. But, you know, it, it's not looking too good. So at any rate, with this documentary, let there be no mistake. They went back and they basically got a hold of her dentist. Why these 
the, these exhibits were not introduced back when they first litigated the case, I have no idea. But it's very clear that the persons bringing about this petition for age change, being the Barnetts, were very selective in what they decided to put up for judicial review. And when they did that, they didn't give all of the evidence. They just gave just enough uh, to raise doubt that she was actually a child um, and declare through a judicial determination that she was actually an adult female. And so had they had these additional records, um, it would have been definitive. Had they, for example, brought in the dentist to testify, well, actually, um, here's an x-ray of her baby teeth. And she wouldn't have baby teeth as a 22-year-old female. You have a finite set of children's teeth, and she has 13 of them. And they showed the extra on this documentary. Um, I don't remember if it was episode one or two. Um, but they showed you the x-ray, and sure enough, there's her baby teeth, and right underneath the adult teeth that were going to be coming up. Um, and then, you know, it was explained in the documentary that there were times where Natalia's teeth would fall out. And then Christine would berate her. as like, why did you pull out your teeth? And Natalia's like, well, I didn't. It just fell out because I'm a kid. I should have like $5 from the tooth fairy. Instead, she was getting pepper sprayed in the face for her um, attempts to deceive the Barnetts is literally what happened. And so there is a lot going on with this documentary. And um, I've only finished watching it yesterday. I certainly have uh, thoughts about all of it. But... Um, what I wanted to do for today's episode was provide a overview of what I saw from episodes one through six and just give you some insight into my raw um, feelings, thoughts about all of the characters in this case, because I want to get those out of the way because I'm still unsettled with what it is that I saw on that documentary. And so today's show is basically an introduction to the, the three-part series that we're about to do. And we're going to be releasing an episode a week, as we normally do. Um, and we're going to get to the bottom of all of this because this case deserves an in-depth analysis of all the evidence that's come in, um, all the stuff that they talked about. It was a lot. And you know what? Um, my thoughts on this show are not fully developed. Um, and I don't want to waste this opportunity to give this case um, the coverage that it deserves. Um, and, and so here's my thoughts just right off of the bat. I didn't have this criticism the first time that I watched the show. Um, you know, because it was, I was more stuck on the fact is, is this girl really 22? I mean, she kind of looks like a kid, you know? Well, this time around, you know, watching it with, uh, more of an idea of what was actually going on. I was very disappointed in the production in the sense that it felt like a 1990s talk show like Jerry Springer, Donahue, Oprah, and the production value was just so over the top. The, the, the dramatic music, the, uh, the dramatic pauses, and, you know, I mean, they were basically... Here's my criticism of American television. Why does everything have to have, like, this dramatic music backdrop and, like, these cuts to like close-ups of people's faces for dramatic effect. The subject matter is dramatic enough. It should be able to carry itself on its own. My biggest criticism of American TV is that they attempt uh, to force feed the audience uh, the dramatic moments because maybe they don't feel that the audience is uh, intelligent enough to pick up on it. So it made, it, I feel like the drama of the episode was somewhat lost in the distractions of how the production team approached 
the episodes. Yeah, it sounds much better now. Okay. Hopefully that fixed it. I think it fixed it. Yeah, I sound I sound way way better. Okay, where did I leave off? <laughs> uh... Talking about production effect and all this stuff. Okay, um, let me just jump in. All right, so yes, so. Natalia, she tells her story from her perspective. Oh, that sounds way better. So Natalia, she's telling her story from her perspective. And she tells the story about how she was adopted by this first family, uh, the Chaconis. And um, they took her in and, you know, she gets there and they had everything there. And then something happens and she didn't understand what was going on. Um, and eventually, because it was it was believed that she had harmed uh, what would have been her adoptive brother, um, well, the Chaconis just couldn't handle it, and so they gave her up. There was a couple of other families that tried to adopt her, and one of them had, um, you know, they had other medical... They were little folks, and they were trying to adopt her. Um, and by stroke of fate, she was not adopted by that family because um, that family had other children in the house which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but they seem to intimate that there was a CPS report that was generated by either the Chaconis or the Barnetts, and it somehow prevented this family that was familiar with her condition because they suffered it, suffered from the same thing themselves. Um, it prevented them from being able to adopt her, um, and it had nothing to do with anything other than they ran a background check, there was a CPS report that seemed to suggest that Natalia was a danger to the younger children in the house. So they didn't get to adopt her for whatever reason. And it, it wasn't really abundantly clear. And again, I'm going to break down every episode in depth because I really want to get to the bottom of it. And again, this episode specifically is an introduction of what we're about to do. This is just my candid thoughts about what I think of everybody. Um, and, and so as fate may have it, this other family does not get to adopt Natalia. So in come the Barnetts. And, and really what it was, one of the big questions is like, why did you try to adopt me? And the main theme that the documentary led us to believe was that Christine had this vision of her parenting prowess. And she's already, in, in her mind, um, uh, uh, been able to produce a genius from this autistic child that had mental uh, deficiencies. And through her love and care, uh, she's produced a genius uh, that now lives with her. She wanted to, I guess, capitalize on that and take in young Natalia and raise her to become a genius or something great. And it didn't work out because, A, geniuses are pretty rare. So I don't recall what the specific um, genius level IQ would be. Um, and there's a number of ways to test it. And by the way, if you took an online IQ test and you tell me that you got an IQ 146, kindly F off. That's not how that works. There, there's, 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 there's way better ways to, to uh, let's just not take, let's not, not use online tests as an evaluator of IQ. And before I go off on that rant, let's just, there's nothing wrong with the fact that Natalia was not a genius level person. I am not a genius level person. Um, it's a miracle that I've made it as far as I have. Um, I have no business being an attorney, a lawyer, or somebody that does a podcast, and yet here I am um, through nothing but uh, nothing more than uh, pulling myself up by the, the straps of my boots 
and uh, sitting in this chair. And um, at any rate, Natalia was not a genius. She greatly disappointed um, Christine because she fell short of expectations. And the way that Natalia puts it is she was pepper sprayed in the face. There was a number of different things. And this was Natalia just kind of speaking from her own personal experiences, the way that she perceived things as a, as a three foot tall person living in a house with abusive parents. Or she recalls uh, this one period of time where she was sitting there and she did something wrong. It was like a school problem or a math problem or whatever, or something angered Christine, her adoptive mother. And in response to that, uh, Christine, who had a pepper spray thing on her keychain, said, hey, keep your eyes open. I want you to know uh, how this feels, because if you ever disobey me again, this is what you're going to feel. And she pepper sprays this little girl in the face. And let's just dispel of the notion that she was 22 years old. She wasn't. She was born in 2003. And if this happened in 2009, this was a six-year-old little girl. And so she's getting berated by this evil woman, Christine. She takes a pepper spray and sprays her in the face and says, doesn't allow her to wash out her eyes. There's no hugs. There's no whatever. Um, you know, some parents say, hey, you're going to go to timeout for five minutes. Christine's version of that was you're going to get pepper sprayed in the face. And this is what it feels like if you ever disobey me. And um, Natalia recounts her experience of that. And um, it was devastating to listen to. And of course, it had the, the, the appropriate emotional effect that the, the production team was going for. Um, but if you were to hear that testimony in court, it would have been so much more impactful because, you know, you got the judge sitting there and you got the attorney sitting there, they're asking questions. And you have this person sitting on a witness stand with jurors. Um, and I just had, um, I was just in trial this week. Um, the way that things unfold in trial sometimes is, uh, it doesn't get much more dramatic than that. And that's without all of the music and all of the stuff and all of what, the whatever. But just her recounting of that, if you would have removed the production value that they were trying to go for, I feel like it would have been just so much more impactful because it would have just been her telling her story. Um, and then you get the feeling when you're watching this documentary that the producers are in the background is like, okay, could, all right, we're going we're gonna to do a take two, maybe a take three, maybe a take four. Uh, but this time, could you just appear, just g give more inflection to this specific word or whatever? And they're really directing the show. That's what they're doing. And what sucks about when they do that is that it gives the impression that somebody's being disingenuous. And I don't believe for a second that Natasha or Natalia was being disingenuous with anything that she said, recounting her own personal experiences. Um, that aside, uh, she said something that I don't recall seeing from the first, um, the first set of episodes, season one of the documentary. I was watching this with my wife, um, and I was watching it without taking notes. I really just wanted to inhale what was coming to me and just get my monitor my thoughts as I was, as I was watching it. And I thought I misheard it. Um, she mentioned something about eating her period. And I'm like, did she, did she say eating her period? Did she misspeak? My wife said, oh, she must have just said something, said something else, or she tried to say something else. She misspoke. It's like, I don't know. It was bizarre that she said that in episode one. And then in episode six, it was revealed that that was a story that was propounded um, by Michael Barnett, who basically said, because there was this whole story about she got her period when she was like seven or eight years old. Now, why does a seven or eight year old get a period? I don't know. I have three daughters and um, my daughters are 17, 
four, and three. My eldest started menstruating when she was like maybe 10 years old or so in the way I talked about in that first set of uh, podcasts that I did about how I addressed that situation was, hey, talk to your grandmother. You're going to have to talk to your mom on that one. That's kind of not my arena. And I, I, I went to CVS and I bought her all kinds of supplies. Here is some Midol. Here is some heating pads. Here is some, you know, all the, all the stuff that you would get. Um, and just a, a bag of stuff, whatever you need. Just let me know I'm here. And I had her grandmother just kind of walk her through that whole process because, you know, she was living with me. And it's like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you or what to do. I mean, I knew what to say. I never lived with women all my life. But that's just kind of something that you want to hear more from a mother that's, that has a menstrual cycle, not from your dad. Um, and so many of you had responded to me about your experiences about when you started menstruating. And some of you were like gymnasts or dancers and explaining the whole process of um, because there's this, this whole thing about why would you give a seven-year-old a tampon or an eight-year-old a tampon? It seems a bit like a, out of bounds for that one. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, pads just makes more sense. And then a lot of you who are athletes or dancers or, or uh, gymnasts um, chimed in to say, well, actually, it's way more comfortable to have a tampon in if you're going to do athletic movements and all. It's like, oh, I had no idea. Um, and so I learned something uh, through that. But they went through this whole idea that she started her menstrual cycle when she was like seven or eight years old. That's how she would have been. And the family was deeply alarmed by that. And Michael, um, just being very naive, um, got that signal from Christine and just had it in his mind. If she's really 22, maybe she was hiding it. How was she was she was hiding it? And he, in a deposition that was taken, I, f I forget if it was late in 2022 or earlier this year, like in April, he gave a, a couple different dep uh, depositions. Um, but it was like um, he recalled a story where Natalia basically said that the way that she hid her menstrual cycle was by eating it. She would have her menstrual cycle and then she would take the remnants of that and, and well, consume it as if it were, you know. Um, and that's how she got uh, went about the business of hiding her, her menstrual cycle, uh, which doesn't make any sense on any level. If you have a menstrual cycle, if you're a father of daughters that have that, it's just not how that works. But that was a story that he advanced. And this is one of the stories that Natalia had advanced. Among the other things, and I'm just kind of going through the highlights as, as they arrive in my brain, um, she talked about... Um, Christine and this whole um, documentary with Michael, the way that he came out and Talia, the way that they were speaking, um, Christine did not respond to a request to have a voice in this documentary. So everybody's kind of ganging up on Christine and pointing to her as the demon amongst the angels uh, that was perpetrating all of this stuff. Um, I will say this. <sighs> Let's talk about Michael Barnett. I had a lot of choice words to say about him um, six months ago or whenever I did that podcast. Um, there was a video of him about how he would go to Natalia's apartment and he walked in there with the camera. He caught wind that she was talking to the CPS worker because it was her only contact with the outside world. Um, and so she contacted the CPS worker who she had talked to before. Um, and when he found out about it, because it generated a, a report that, you know, people were questioning him about, he goes to her apartment, um, and he has a video camera in his hand. He's just being like a total dick, uh, to Natalia and, um, talking about food and, you know, I forget specifically all the details, but my thoughts about that, just looking at Natalia's demeanor was that 
she looked like a, a nine-year-old girl that was being yelled at. And when you're nine years old and you're being accosted by verbally by your parents, um, you don't have the verbal acuity to go ahead and respond to all that in any meaningful way. Um, but she also struck me as somebody that had experienced these verbal assaults before. And, um, you know, the way that she stuck there, she, she sat there just kind of blank face on her, in her eyes and um, sitting on the couch and just letting Michael kind of just uh, spout off his piece. Um, this poor girl, she looked, she had the ring of an abused little girl. And so um, if you, if this is your first time tuning in, uh, this is your first episode, you should know um, that my regular practice, I have an active practice. I own a law firm. Most of what I do revolves around family law or cases involving children, which includes CPS cases. Um, I've been practicing for over 10 years now, and I've come across some genuinely abused young children in my career. And one of the hallmarks of an abused child is when they are being verbally accosted by an adult or they are in the process of being abused whether it be uh, physically or verbally, one of the things that they do is they shut down. Their face becomes blank. They try not to um, say anything that's going to make it any worse. When they're getting uh, physically beaten with, uh, you know, whatever it is, and in this case, Natalia said that she was beaten uh, with a belt. She was pepper sprayed, closed fists, open hands, forearms, elbows, whatever Christine uh, could use. Um you know, the move is to kind of shut down and um, not do anything that would make it worse. And when I was watching that video at the time, back in season one, I just said, there's no way that that girl's 22 years old. She looks like an abused seven-year-old. That's what she looked like. That's some very choice words from Michael. So fast forward to season two, and here is Michael, and they attempt to put together this face-to-face, -face, and it was Nat Natalia, and she was sitting in a chair. Michael was sitting in a chair. And it was this first time that they had had any interaction together. Really since, I mean, they were living together. I mean, they had seen each other in passing um, during some of the litigation stuff that was going on in 2019 because of testimony and whatnot. Um, but this was never, they never had an opportunity um, to discuss face-to-face -face the events. And so this documentary is kind of building it up as this, you know, huge production about... This is the face-off between Natalia and Michael. And, you know, is Natalia going to get closure? What's going to happen? And so one of the things that Nat Natalia asked her is, you know, basically why? Why did such and such happen? And why did this and that happen? And they had two sit-downs. And so the one that happened the first time, um, and just to give you some background, um, after the Barnett debacle, um, Natalia was taken in by another family. Um, they took her in and she's been living with them and with them for like the past 10 years or so. Uh, I, I believe it was in 2013 that she went to live with them. So it's not like um, there was, well, I guess it's debatable the way that they ended the documentary, but she's had 10 years successfully living with an adoptive family. And the big conclusion at the, the end of episode six was this su successful adoption of Natalia by her new family um, who were very religious um, uh, the dad was uh, the, this bishop in a church and he had a wife and just a very strong God-fearing family for whatever your proclivities for 
religious belief are. This was a, a God-fearing family. Um, and so they've been living together. And at the, uh, the um, face-off, if you will, between Natalia and Michael, she's sitting there and it must, I mean, the way the production leads you believe lasted maybe a couple of minutes before Michael threw a tantrum and just kind of storms off. Um, and it's kind of startling to see um, and amazing to see because here's a girl. Let me just paint this picture. As I, as, I, as I am watching, as I'm sure many of you were wondering the same, um, but this is a young girl that was orphaned in the Ukraine. Sent to live within a Ukrainian orphanage, adopted uh, by three different families at least. Um, passed around to different families because, you know, one reason or another. Does she have behavioral problems? Sure. It was revealed in these episodes that there was also a lot of other crazy stuff that was going on inside these Ukrainian orphanages um, that caused her severe trauma. It appears, based on what uh, the documentary um, had revealed, that she was probably sexually assaulted by an older white gentleman while she was with the Ukrainian orphanage. She was drugged. She was... Uh, Christine Barnett had attempted to overdose her on medication that she was taking at the time. Uh, she was beaten with belts. Um, she was uh, left in an apartment on her own with uh, no parents, no family, no siblings, no friends um, at the age of about seven or eight years old. Um, and could you even imagine, okay, my seven or eight-year-old self, if I go back to 1987, 1988, um, if I were to be left without parents, number one, that would have been awesome for about an hour or two. And then I would get hungry. And then it's like you're depending on your parents to make you food or whatever. When I was seven or eight years old, I was deathly afraid of the dark. I had nightmares and I would wake up thinking that um, there was that movie Child's Play. One, one nightmare that really sticks out is... Um, do you remember those My Buddy dolls from the 80s? It looked an awful lot like Chucky. My brother had one because he would play with those dolls. And it was in our room, and we shared a bedroom together. And I remember waking up terrified in, in like a cold sweat because what the hell is Chucky? And I had some kind of a nightmare, and I remember screaming and, and you know, waking up just in a cold sweat and calling out, and my mom comes to get me and, you know, save me from my nightmare. Well, if you're living in an apartment by yourself, there is no safety net like that. There, you know, when you're seven or eight years old, your, your thoughts are like you're He-Man, you're uh, the Ninja Turtles, you're the superhero, you're uh, the Disney prince, you're whatever, you're all this powerful until you fall and you stub your knee and then, or skin your knee or, you know, uh, you fall and you hurt yourself and then you, you look for your parents. They're the people that you trust. They're the people that, that love you, that, that are taking care of you, that are making sure that you don't die. Now, take away all of that, and you're living by yourself, and you don't have any friends, and you don't have any siblings, and you don't have any parents. You don't have anybody really checking into you, in, in on you except to see if you have enough food in the refrigerator or whatnot, which is kind of what the Barnett's were doing, sort of. Um, imagine how traumatic, traumatic that would have been for any seven or eight-year-old, let alone Natalia. So not only that, they pulled her out of school. I think she was like in the second or third grade or whatever it was. And they sent her to a school for adults. 
literally one of these places where you didn't get your high school diploma, you dropped out of high school, you want to get your GED, come and uh, sit and we'll teach you the basics and make sure you pass your GED. That's the kind of school that she went to, a school for adults. And she's like seven. And then the teachers and the faculty over there um, called the police like, hey, so there's no effing way that this lady that this young girl is 22 years old. She appears to be a child. Maybe somebody should take a better look. Now, mind you, the only reason that she's sitting there in that apartment and is able to legally have that happen is because she had already been legally re-aged. And the effect of her being legally re-aged was that they litigated the issue of her age and they determined it to be 22. However they got there, the only way you're able to review how they got there is by looking at the evidence that was presented at the time of trial. What they definitely did not have, because it would have been definitive that, they, oh, this is not a 22-year-old, was the dental records. And so that judge took the evidence that was presented to him on that day, and he's decided, well, I don't know, she's 22 then. And that's how she was. That's why she's living in an apartment. That's how she gets enrolled at this school for adults. Um, they took her out of a normal elementary school, like any other normal child would be, and placed her with these adults. And how, I mean, gosh, how scared that must have been. Um, Natalia's recounting, um, I mean, in the first episode, the neighbors were kind of ganging up on her and say, oh, I thought she was trying to steal stuff. She would come in here and like be all over the place and be looking at all at the house. And I really thought that she was going to break in later and like steal all kinds of stuff. There was others um, that claimed that they were, she was being sexually inappropriate with uh, their child, their, their little boys, because she was having tickle fights or whatever in the yard. Um, they talked about that. And, um, you know, I mean, if you look at it, if you view her, okay, if you see a young boy and a young girl, six or seven years old, and they're wrestling around, most of the time, unless they're doing something that's like obviously sexual, you're not going to assume that, you know, that it's anything other than but, but innocent. But if in your mind you're believing that this is a 22-year-old um, orphan um, that is sexually molesting my son, I mean, that's kind of what's going to come to top of mind. Um, and mind you, that Christine, according to Natalia, had conditioned her to say that, look, you're going to tell people that you're 22 years old. How does she get her to say that? I mean, through various forms of physical abuse, um, pepper spray, closed fists, um, belts, weapons, whatever. Um, in the first uh, season of the documentary, they talked about how they locked her outside of the house for all hours of the night. They had her stand with her nose to the wall. They had... I mean, this little girl kind of went through all of this, and um, she's supposed to be this normal, functioning person. Of course, she's going to have uh, behavioral deficits. And even if, I mean, they did a really good job, I thought, at the very least, of telling her side. They told her, they, they, they told the Barnett side first, and then they introduced Natalia's side, you know, and they're talking about the behavioral, behavioral, behavioral malfeasance that she would commit. Um, and they were talking about how she'd get in fights and she would, you know, use foul language. And there were some people, oh, we haven't even got to that yet. Um, aside from them leaving her at an apartment, they literally had her committed to an insane asylum um, for mental illness. And so she's literally put into this nut house. And you know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds like that movie, The Orphan, because that lady literally came from a mental health institution. Um, and, but she spent time in there and she describes it in vivid details. Uh, from her 
eight-year-old perspective about how everything was so white. The walls were white. The bed was completely white. The only thing that wasn't white or had any color at all was the bed straps. And I was informed that um, those bed straps were meant to uh, be used if I were to try to hurt myself. She talks about how scary it was being in that place. Now, there's obviously questions about her behavior, um, which I don't specifically um, have any doubts that she probably did have some behavioral issues because if you're keeping score, um, she was orphaned um, from the time that she was a baby. Basically, the day that she was born, her mother gave her up to this Ukrainian orphanage. Uh, she was abused at the orphanage. Uh, she goes to this other family who gives her away. She goes to another family. They give her away. The way that you hear Natalia describe it, she's like, she, she's like exclaiming, I'm not a freaking toy. You know, I'm a human being. I'm a child. And so she's going to all of these different houses. Um, she was diagnosed later in episode six. They, they said very specifically that she had a specific mental illness, if you could call it a mental illness, but it's more, it's more along the lines of a behavioral proclivity that happens to people um, that are given up to be adopted and spend any time in orphanages, which is they have very, a very difficult time bonding with their adoptive parents because of fear that they're not going to stick around or they're going to be somehow uh, discarded or they're not going to be accepted at the end of everything. Um, and so she has, you know, these ideas, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the hands of Christine, the fact that they tried, that they literally re-aged her, the fact that she was sent uh, to this mental health institution, the fact that she was left alone in an apartment, not once, but twice before she's finally adopted by somebody that she sticks with for a period of 10 years um, and gives her what they can of a normal childhood. So <clears throat> she's going through all of that. Um, and, you know, I mean, surprise, surprise, she may have some behavioral issues as a result of all of that. She might start fights. She might use bad language. She might use six, um, sexually suggestive language uh, to adults in inappropriate ways. Um, those are, that's, that's really nothing new. Um, gosh, I, I have these cases that are in dependency court and CPS reports all the time about siblings that were abused that display inappropriate sexual behavior towards their siblings because of the abuse they've endured. That has nothing to do with um, her age. Um, it has much more to do with the way that she's been treated, her experiences in life, and all that kind of stuff. And so it doesn't surprise me, and it really doesn't matter whether or not Natalia is lying or telling the truth about what she actually did or didn't do, or the Barnett says that she actually did or didn't do. I think what's unequivocally true is the fact that she was not a 22 year old lady back in 2013. She's not 32 years old right now. This was literally a child. And so it's very complex about um, what does that mean for uh, Natalia going forward? And you know, how should we treat her? How should we perceive her? Um, you should perceive her as, a child that was severely abused in her childhood uh, that is behaving that is behaving in a way as if she's been abused. And yeah, there's going to be some difficulties along the way. And it's not going to be like, uh, you know, children that have experienced a normal childhood that didn't go through all of those things. It's going to be complicated. And indeed it was complicated. Um, I have some thoughts about Michael uh, Barnett. <clears throat> what do I think about that guy? Well, Dominic, how are we doing on time? Right now, we're at 55. Okay. 
I should probably, I'm going to be wrapping this up pretty soon, I promise. Um, but um, before I do that, some thoughts on Michael. And I'm, I'm going to talk about Christine in the coming weeks. I'm going to talk about the legal case and, and, the, and what Natalia can legally do. Those episodes, you're going to want to dive into the documentary. If you're going to watch my podcast, I want you to follow along with me. And if you don't want to do that, it's fine too. Come and join in and I'll talk about all of it. Um, but you're going to get the most benefit if you watch these episodes by yourself. Next week, I'm going to dive into episodes one and two. The week after that, I'm going to dive into episodes three and four. And then we'll go four and five or five and six. I can't count. And that's going to conclude um, our series on Natalia Grace. But it deserves that much attention from this show. Um, but Michael Barnett. He's kind of a show pony. He is a, if you ask me, and it doesn't really matter about his sexuality, but he might clearly be homosexual. Um, I talked about that on my last podcast, and he was married to this lady that was very clearly to me abusing him. Um, and he didn't have any fights to him. It's like, a, so one of the stories that Natalia talks about, Picture this in your mind. And if you have children, if you're raising your children with another parent, I want you to picture this in your mind and imagine what you would do. So one of the stories that Natalia talks about is how she's being severely beaten by Christine with a belt, no less. If you hear Bar uh, Michael's explanation of it, it was like, uh, as soon as he gets home, he sees that Natalia is in trouble. And then his, his, uh, his wife kind of gets in his face and is like, you will support me as a wife. You back me up on this. And then she, she proceeds to severely beat this little girl with the way that Michael described it. Um, he was punching her. She was punching her. And when uh, she got tired using fists, she used her forearms. And I mean, she beat her very severely. Um, Michael just kind of stood by and watched that if my wife were to walk in on me beating up my children whether they be four years old or nine years old or 12 years old there's zero percent chance that my wife would not have attacked me in some kind of way if not called the police or maybe she would have got a knife and like stabbed me because i'm literally um beating up our kids. I believe down to my soul that my wife would not have stood for any of that. Never mind that, you know, she's like a half my size. I'm not nearly as strong, um, but that's her children being attacked. She would have protected her children. I sincerely believe that about her. I hope that, that that's the case. If I would have walked in, that's what I would have done. That wouldn't have gotten, I'll tell you what, Christine is gonna tell me to back her up on beating our children with a belt. There's no way that that's going down. And I'll tell you what, just a preview of, of what we're going to get into and when we're talking about the legal ramifications of that. There, if it can be established some way, and I realize that the law in Indiana is that it's already litigated the fact of the age, but now we have extra evidence. Um, we're going to talk about all of that. But if it's determined that we can litigate this as if Natalia was a child, um, and it kind of spoke volumes about how Michael approached this whole show because he's talking about things, but there's very clearly things that he didn't want to get into, um, namely his culpability in the abuse that Natalia had suffered. So just know that when you watch this podcast, Michael is full on um, rejected uh, Christine. He's trying to paint her as 
the, the, the one behind all of this, and he was an abuse victim himself. So, um, why is he doing that? I'm convinced it's because he has an attorney, a pretty sharp attorney that's let him know that what's your liability in all this? Yeah, you don't have any criminal liability right now. There may be criminal liability later on down the road, and we're going to explore about how that might be. But Natalia herself kind of mentioned that, look, this isn't over. I'm bringing civil lawsuits. That's coming. So how is that going to work? If Christine Barnett is guilty of the abuse against Natalia, then Michael is also culpable insofar as he failed to protect Natalia from the abuse that he had reason to know was going on. That's a huge deal. It attaches, at the very least, civil liability to Michael Barnett, along with Christine Barnett. And look, Christine, she's made a lot of money over the years. Um, it was reported in this documentary that she made like $600,000 from a book that she had written. Um, I'm sure the, the figure is probably um, more than that, but um, there's some money to collect um, that Natalia is going to go after um, as a result of these civil lawsuits um, that has probably necessarily been affected uh, by this documentary that's come out. And again, we're going to talk about it in the coming weeks, but it's coming down the pike. I'll just say that Michael, as a parent, one of the big legal questions is whether or not he had a responsibility to protect Natalia. The answer to that is, of course he did. The question is, how much of this did he know was going on? And what was his ability to stop the abuse, if any? Um, he's going to have liability in this case. Um, the question is just how much. Did he know that um, Christine was physically abusing the child the same way uh, that he described? Because he, he talked about that. And then the, the, the question becomes, I've had cases, um, CPS cases, where parents were found culpable for failing to protect their children against abusive spouses. I've had cases where CPS has literally said, the dependency courts have literally said, unless you divorce your abusive husband, you're never going to get your children back. That's how California treats it. Indiana's a little bit different, and we're going to talk about how different that is, but the legal principles are the same. If you are the parent to a child who is a minor or a disabled person, you have a duty to keep them safe. You have a duty not to neglect them. You have a duty to protect them from abuse if you have a reasonable suspicion that abuse might be afoot. I think there's ample evidence to suggest that there is no way that Michael didn't know what was going on in that house. And then the question becomes, is it reasonable to act like he did, which is basically not to intervene. Um, they went over text messages where um, there was some pushback for Michael at the end against Christine's behavior uh, towards Natalia. Um, and so he did try to paint himself as a victim. He literally tried to say he's a victim. So imagine all the stuff that I just told you that Natalia went through, being orphaned at, at the time that she was a baby, being sexually abused at the orphanage, being um, severely um, mishandled at that orphanage in a myriad of different ways. And we're going to get into all of those in subsequent episodes um, to being adopted by this abusive family, to being left on her own when she was a seven or eight year old little child to live, to fend for herself at this apartment 
um, at not just one apartment, but two different apartments before she's finally adopted and allowed to have a normal child. All of the abuse, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse that she endured, and what is Michael's first, um, the first thing that comes out of his mouth was, um, we share the same monster. He says something to that effect. We share the same monster, the same monster being Christine. And then he begins to say how he's an abuse victim. And her adoptive father, the new one, the bishop is what I'm going to call him. Um, he had all the anger, this anger that's been building up, having heard Natalia's story from the time, you know, basically for 10 years living with her. Um, he wasn't putting up with any of that. And he kind of scolds Michael for using certain language. And Michael basically storms out like a, like a little baby. Um, I could use other terms to describe his behavior, and I know the bishop wanted to, but he didn't. But he just left. He was there for either a couple minutes. I have no idea of knowing for sure, but the production, um, you know, they got into the very beginning of what was supposed to be a face-to-face -face between Natalia and Michael, her abusive adoptive parent, and it ended with Michael saying that he's the victim and storming out and just kind of leaving, and then Natalia's all in tears, and she's basically saying, all I wanted to do was talk. Um, and so that ended. Fast forward to episode six of, episode, of season two, and they did have another face-to-face, -face, but under condition that uh, the bishop wasn't allowed to be there. Um, and Michael, at the first sit-down, had his attorney there, um, and they were going back and forth and bickering, and it was like this just crazy, unfortunate thing that happened. But they did have their face-to-face, -face, and there was this very powerful moment <clears throat> at the end of it uh, where Natalia says... I forgive you, Michael. And then she prays over him. And I don't care what your beliefs are about religion or the, the effects of prayer or um, your take on Christianity or whatever, but she's been raised by a Christian family. And she prayed over him, which I thought was a... <clears throat> In the entirety of the two-season series of the documentary was the most powerful moment. Because if you're an atheist or, or you're not a believer in God or, or you have a different religion or whatever... It represents Natalia growing up and uh, being able to place forgiveness on her, what she perceived to be an adoptive parent, Michael Barnett. And they have this moment, and then, you know, um, they conclude the series with her being officially adopted by her new adoptive parents. Um, and then you think it's going to be, oh, everybody's going to live ha happily ever after. And then Natalia is saying that I have big plans for my life. And um, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do all this stuff. And maybe they're, you know, talking about her big plans. Right. And then in the very last 90 seconds of the two season documentary, they play audio from a phone call of her new adoptive parents saying, Natalia is tweaking out and she's crazy. And I don't know what's wrong with her. She's saying we're trapped and, you know, just bombshell that, Hey, it's not working out with the new adoptive parent family either. And, um, and then after all of that, you're, you're, you're waiting for this big happy ending and that's how the end of the show. And it's like, well, WTF, what am I supposed to do with that? And then they say Natalia's, um, story continues. Now, interestingly, there's not episode seven or eight, you know, there's, there's not going to be any follow-up to that. That's just kind of how they ended the, the documentary opening the door, I guess, um, if, to, a, I guess a season three. Um, life with her new adoptive parents. So I don't know where they were going with all that. Um, what I told my wife was, look, it's really hard uh, to stand and be a strong parent to a child that is behaving badly. 
Now, it's easy to be a parent to your children when they're being perfect angels or when, you know, they look cute or when they're, um, you know, doing cute little kid things that would, you know, um, grab the eyes of the world. It's like, oh, what a cute little child. Everybody wants the children when they're being nice and they're smiling and they're laughing and they're having a good time. But the second you hear that screeching cry of a toddler or her having a, a temper tantrum or telling you, I hate you or I'm very angry at you or whatever it's going to be. I mean, I have my three and four year olds. They're angels and then they're not angels. And it's like, how do you how do you mesh the two? And he's a parent. I mean, I'm pretty good at it now. I've done it for a long time. But as adoptive parents, there's only so much you can take. And you're, you're sacrificing every day for this child and you're building this life for a child and the men how do you continue to be a strong parent when you've been when what you perceive to be uh disrespect from the person that you are building so much for or working for it's difficult and so they've had a moment um and i don't know what to make of it yet and i'm going to reserve judgment with further and without further information i'm just going to say that it makes a lot of sense that Natalia, being 20 years old, is going to have um, some behavioral deficits as the result of everything that's being processed in her brain right now. She's not even, she doesn't even have a fully formed frontal lobe of her brain. That's not going to happen until about 26, 27 years old, maybe, if she's lucky. And um, she has a lot to process. I don't remember who I heard say this, but it rings very true in lives of, you know, many. That when you're a child and as you're growing up, um, when you look at your parents, at first, um, your parents are your heroes. They're the superheroes. They're like the strongest man in the world and the nicest person in the world and they make the best food and there's nothing wrong with your parents. You emulate your parents because they're your heroes and you want to be like your mom and dad. And then at some point in your childhood, when you figure out that, well, life isn't all about Disney movies and living happily ever after and um, all that kind of stuff, you demonize your parents and you blame them for every uh, deficit in your life, whether it be financial or academic or behavioral or I wish I was better looking, my DNA sucks, or, you know, I wish I was stronger because I want to play ball for whatever um, and, you know, or... I would have been such a much better person if only my mom hugged me more or my dad did this or that or whatever. That's stage two. And then eventually you grow out of that. You go from idolizing your parents to demonizing your parents to at long last you humanize your parents. And you kind of saw Natasha go through all three stages with Michael. She at first idolized because they had this happy day and it's this... this uh, she talks about how they went to Walt Disney World or whatever. Then she demonized him, which has been basically the length of this documentary. Then she humanizes him, and you, you see this uh, uh, very touching last scene where she's praying over him and you know saying she forgives him and all of this. Um, and then Michael just kind of uh, just drives off in his little Flintstone car. I don't know what kind of car that was, but it was a trip. It was like the tiniest little car that I've ever seen. Um, it looked like a Flintstone car. I mean, he drives off into the sunset. You think the show's going to end, and then A... Um, shocker, but it's not perfect with her new adoptive parents either. So that is, uh, that is, um, my summary, my very raw thoughts, uh, without organizing them <clears throat> of what this new documentary was. 
Um, and so next week, um, probably on Friday, maybe Thursday. Um, well, actually, we're recording on Monday, so maybe much earlier. Um, but in the coming days, we're going to have... Um, we're going to break down episodes one and two of the documentary. We're going to talk about all of the medical evidence that came out because it wasn't just the dental records. They actually sent her to like a DNA facility. Um, they said by, an, uh, by an analysis of her DNA, she's much closer to 22 years old physically. And if you believe she's born in 2003, she's like 20 years old. So that, that meshes, but she's closer to 22 than she would be 33, which is the age that people would believe her if they believe the reaging thing um what does it matter legally it really doesn't matter anything other than criminal and civil culpability into the malfeasance that was perpetrated upon her during her childhood and that's going to be the coming lawsuits <clears throat> as far as the adoptive you literally heard the judge said hey so what's the deal um your birth certificate says that you're that you're like 20 years old or i think she said 19 years old but legally you're 33 what's the deal with that um, and then Natalia's on the witness stand and she's kind of explaining that, oh, I was legally raged by my former adoptive parents. And then the judge is like, well, it doesn't matter because you're either 19 or 33, either way you're an adult. And so I'm not going to touch that. And that's kind of how they resolved it. Um, but um, for whatever it's worth, those are my candid thoughts um, that I wanted to get off my chest because I'm, I'm rattled by this case. Um, this case has um, deeply disturbed me for a myriad of different reasons. I haven't processed all my thoughts and I don't want to just come over here and just, you know, wing it. I want to really prepare for this and break it down legally um, as a parent, as a dad, humanistically, as a human being, and give you guys the best analysis out there on YouTube or in podcasts or however it is that you're consuming this. And by the way, my new producer, Dominic, uh, who is taking over the TikTok channel and the Instagram channel is going to be posting uh, lots of new content there. So if you haven't already, make sure that you're following me on TikTok and on Instagram and whatever other social media that arises from uh, the hiring of our new producer. Um, but uh, big things are happening in 2024 with the Tilt Lawyer podcast. And um, I before I forget to mention it, Monday unless something unforeseen happens, as it did today, will mark the return of my co-host, Ileana Colon Rosa, who's going to be returning from maternity leave. Um, and she is finished with all of that, and she wants to get back into it. And she's going to be joining us to discuss uh, with me. So I'm going to have my co-host back. Um, it's not going to be so lonely in here anymore. And um, we will resume with that. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for you this afternoon on Friday, uh, January... It's January 5th, um, but uh, just take this episode for what it is. This is a summary because coming up in the coming weeks, we're going to really deep dive in on this case, and I'm going to give you a full-on um, analysis from myself, practicing, uh, practicing attorney of over 10 years with my co-host, who is a practicing attorney for much shorter than that, but she's going to give her her analysis anyway. And um, I, I can't wait to get into this with all of you guys. And with all of that, we will see you guys next week. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon 
Love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.